3: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
4: It's a numbers game with your host, Gil Alexander. Want those idiots who believe in analytics. Second hour of a numbers game. No Gil Alexander today, tomorrow. And are going go out of town for an event. So um, he will be back on Monday. With that being said, second hour, Joe Fortenbaugh, he'll be with us in about five minutes to discuss uh, a wide range of topics, a little focus on football. I can't wait to talk to Paul Sporer, uh, get a little insight on Major League Baseball, some of these division races. Uh, Also, of course, a funny moment in baseball a couple of days ago that I want to pick Paul's brain on, um, reminiscent of something that we'll get to with Sporer coming up in about 45 minutes. Uh, By the way special guest just walking in and saying what's up Michael Lombardi's in town so you'll get an in person uh, an in person Lombardi line of course all right so with that, I wanted to talk about a little bit of news in the National Football League. Uh, one from today, one from late yesterday. First off, New England Patriots focus. We're going to talk about the Patriots coming up in about 25 minutes in terms of their season-long prospects. Uh, but Cam Newton did return to practice today. Of course, for those uh, who don't know, Cam had to uh, miss five days because of the NFL's five-day entry cadence under COVID-19 protocols. So he gets three days to get ready for the club's preseason finale on Sunday against the New York Giants. Uh, Patriots coach Bill Belichick hasn't really said much Uh, had, of course, kind of leaned on the statement of the club released explaining the quarterback's absence was due to a misunderstanding of the league's protocols regarding COVID-19. But to bring this up for a couple of different reasons, one of which is it does seem that uh, some shops, including DraftKings, have taken down the prop who will be the starting quarterback week one for the New England Patriots. It seems that Mac Jones, even though that Cam Newton was a very strong favorite to take the job, There's a report at a camp that uh, Mac Jones, I think it was 23 or 24 passes completed, had done a really good job in the most recent practice playing quarterback. uh, He has been phenomenal in terms of being a passer in the preseason by PFF standards, a top five quarterback in terms of his passing grade. And it does seem at this point right now that there is a certain floor that is actually relatively high for the New England Patriots offense if Mac Jones is going to be the starting quarterback. And we know, as we kind of talked with Eric Ingram, that there's a potential uh, there's a potential for an offense led by Mac Jones that is going to limit the situations in which you'd be put in to make mistakes. Two tight end offense, a leaning on the running game. It would be a favorable offense to break a rookie quarterback into. Again, preseason not indicative of what you're going to get in the regular season, but still Mac Jones could provide something because he does seem to have the highest floor of all the rookie quarterbacks in meaning of. Once he starts out, you're going to get a baseline of play that's around average in the National Football League, and it's about him maximizing that and becoming a top-end quarterback in the NFL. But some pretty interesting developments. The fact that Cam Newton was going to miss five days was going to be really intriguing, just given the fact that Mac Jones had been nipping at his heels by all accounts for this starting job. And on the other end of it was the fact that this is a team that, remember, last year with subpar quarterback play, eight touchdowns, ten interceptions from Cam Newton, still got to seven and nine a season to go. This is a team that we'll get into more of the details about what else I like about this team, but regardless, Props are down when it comes to the starting quarterback position for the New England Patriots, and it looked like Mac Jones, maybe some uh, momentum behind Jones being the guy week one. With that, should also note, too, very quickly, the news of the day yesterday was that the Denver Broncos had announced Teddy Bridgewater would be the starting quarterback for them as they move forward. And, like, volatility is the name of the game here with Drew Locke. Drew Locke had an incredible first week of the preseason. Looked dynamic. Average depth of the target was, like, 12, 13 yards downfield. Making multiple big-time throws, he looked like he was going to be the guy. However, that volatility came back in the other direction in their second preseason game, and he didn't look anywhere near the guy. Well, again, you talk about, to use the word, you get a baseline of play from Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy Bridgewater is known as a game manager. I think he's a little bit more volatile than that in terms of the way he puts the ball in danger at times. But regardless, he is the safest of the two choices for a team in the Denver Broncos that has a ton of talent. At both skill position along the offensive line with the defense, of course, potentially being one of the better ones in the National Football League if they get some sort of play from their offense that is above average. So now we talk about, and I think we look at the Denver Broncos with this quarterback situation settled as a team that could potentially push for a playoff like a playoff spot. I don't know if we're not going to see Drew Locke. I think if you were to set a yes-no price on will Drew Locke start a game in 2021, the yes would be a slight favorite because, keep in mind, we did see a version of Teddy Bridgewater last year that was not great. But I still think at the end of the day, Vic Fangio went with what we can kind of choose as the safest option here for the Denver Broncos and an option that could potentially maximize what they have on this offense. Drew Locke could probably be really, really good at times. We also saw that Drew Locke can also be really bad at times, which ultimately leads to a coach in Vic Fangio, whose window is closing himself as head coach, maybe with some pressure on him to go with a safer option in Teddy Bridgewater, a quarterback. So this is a numbers game here on VCN, the Sports Betting Network. Let's welcome in Joe Fortenbaugh, ESPN Daily Wager. Nice enough to give us some time this morning. Uh, So, Joe, I wanted to start with you with some of the NFL news and uh, some of the tidbits that we've seen over the last 24 hours. First off, the topic we were just touching on, uh, where you're at in terms of the selection of Teddy Bridgewater being the starting quarterback for the Denver Broncos. Because I think it's safe to say Vic Fangio saw two guys, and while the ceiling is insanely high for Drew Locke, you just don't know what you're going to get on a week-to-week basis. Teddy Bridgewater gives you a baseline of play that could potentially give you something that you can expect from this offense on a week-to-week basis. Do you like the selection of Bridgewater, a quarterback, and what does it mean for the Broncos now moving forward in your mind? Well, it's the
5: right move for what Fangio wants to do. And yeah. Fangio wants to play defense, and he wants to be able to run the football, right? So you go with a guy in Teddy Bridgewater, and you're not going to ask him to win you games. You're going to ask him to do what Drew Locke couldn't do last season, and that's not lose you games. And Bridgewater fits that mold very, very well. Remember something. Denver ranked dead last in the NFL in turnover differential last year. Denver also ranked dead last in the NFL in giveaways last year. They didn't force many turnovers. They were in the bottom 10, but they committed way too many, and the differential was abysmal. We're going to see a bounce back in that category because of Teddy Bridgewater, and ultimately, that's why he won the job. JVT, I was listening to you before I came on. I think you hit the nail right on the head. He's got the higher floor. He might not have the lower ceiling, but he's got the higher floor, and when you're trying to win games by playing defense and running the football, you want the guy with the higher floor who's not going to cost you on a week-to-week basis. So maybe I'd take a shot on the Broncos making the playoffs
4: at plus 155. I think that's intriguing with the style of football they're going to bring to the table, but I'm not going to have aspirations much plus that. So I'm curious. So one of the things, and out of all these week one lines that we have seen, the one that I keep going back to and scratching my head on is, like, yes, Teddy Bridgewater, as you mentioned, right, the floor, the ceiling thing, gives you a baseline of play as a quarterback. But is this Broncos team power rated to the point where I get the Giants are no great shakes? But they're a one and a half road, one-and-a-half point road favorite. I just I can't wrap my mind, Joe, around the Broncos even with Bridgewater, a quarterback, and all the talent being a road favorite. Given what we've seen from them, what am I missing in that week one line?
5: low on the Giants. I think that's what we're seeing there. It's not so much being high on the Broncos, it's being low on the Giants. Uh, How many people do you know really want to make the case for Daniel Jones, right? Last year we didn't see a whole lot out of this team. Very sloppy, lots of mistakes. I think there might be a little value in New York there, not because... I want to bet against Denver, but because I think New York has a better defense that people give him credit for. The question I have is why are the Giants not playing Daniel Jones in the preseason? I get why Tom Brady's not playing. I get why Aaron Rodgers isn't playing. Daniel Jones needs the reps, and we haven't seen him at all in the first two games of the preseason. I think that's a big mistake on behalf of Joe Judge, especially with Saquon Barkley coming back, and you got to wonder what he's going to look like early in the season. So I think that line stands out. I'd also say that Jacksonville laying a field goal at Houston stands out as well. Granted, to be awful, but Jacksonville has looked terrible in the preseason. They got a head coach who doesn't know what he's doing at the NFL level, at least as of yet, and that offensive line is brutal. That team's going to lay three on the road in a divisional game to open the season. I'm not sniffing that one either.
4: Yeah, you know that gets me too. We could talk about that thing because I'm I'm with you. Like I get the the disdain for the Houston Texans. I get how bad they could potentially be, but I think we also forget, Joe, that this is a team that in the offseason, yeah, like they added a whole. It was like scattershot right like they had a whole bunch of veterans but like it was a bunch of veterans that could potentially incrementally make them better at multiple positions maybe not that much better but if we're talking about a team if like for those again you know I always like to play this game if you're using the traditional three of home field we're talking about a Jags team that is laying about nine points at home against this Texans team I just I just don't really understand like this again the market being really low on Houston but I don't know how you could be that high on Jacksonville
5: no that's exactly right they, they, they some growing pains i mean the thing- one thing you always want to keep in line and I know Michael Lombardi says this all the time, it's a great piece of information to file away when you're handicapping football but bad offensive lines don't travel yep. bad offensive lines don't travel and we got fans back in the stands this season, it's going to be loud the home team defense is going to have that extra fraction of a second where they can fire off the ball due to the crowd noise that Jacksonville offensive line has looked abysmal and now Travis Etienne is down, Trevor Lawrence is going to take time, it's going to take a lot Lot of time, too, with Urban Meyer. It's not going to surprise me in the least if we see him mismanage some key points of that game. So laying three on the road, I don't care who the opponent is,
4: there's no way I would play that. Yeah, Lawrence, uh, I put in air quotes, won the job during, uh, right. during the preseason. Uh, also, Good nugget. The highest graded quarterback by PFS standards in the preseason is actually a Jacksonville Jaguar. It's CJ Beathard. Uh, So it goes to show you what the quarterback play in the offense (laughs) has been like for Jacksonville in the preseason. So the other bit of news, and this comes out, you know, today, along with, we knew that Cam Newton's going to be back at practice today, Joe, and and that is the case. Uh, But DraftKings has pulled down the week one prop who will take the first snap for the New England Patriots. Cam Newton, who was a hardy favorite or Mac Jones. We get the report yesterday that Mac Jones, I think it was like 23, 24 or 22 or 23. Passes completed in practice. He was nipping at the heels of Cam Newton throughout training camp, and there is some momentum that he is going to be the guy potentially under center. What do you think the Patriots should do? What maximizes the potential for New England? I would
5: start with Newton because you know what you have in Newton – Ceiling might not be what it used to be, but you also know what the floor is. And last year, as bad as he looked, he didn't have around him what he has this season. The fact that they were willing to trade away Sony Michel to the Rams says everything we need to know about Damian Harris. They've got to be very excited about him in the backfield. They made some moves at wide receiver this offseason. They weren't great moves, but they did upgrade the wide receiving unit. Defense gets a lot of guys back from last year's COVID opt-outs, plus what they brought in via free agency. So there will be a better football team. I would give Cam the opportunity – To win games. And if he wins games, fantastic. You can rest Jones. And if he doesn't, then there's no controversy in the locker room and you make the switch. Give Newton the opportunity to play himself out of the job. That would be my thought, And then bring Jones along at a slower pace. But, I I mean, I'm sure you guys have been talking about this. Newton missing five days because of those protocols. you got to figure out which guys are not vaxxed you got to figure out how that's going to hurt these teams because it's not to get political or anything like that, but if Newton had been vaxxed, he's not missing five days due to the rules. Lamar Jackson has already tested positive for COVID twice. Can we bank on the fact that he, in some way, shape, or form, won't violate any of these rules or get sick again this season to hurt the Ravens? Can we trust that Newton's going to be able to stay away from all that stuff
4: and, and go through regular season without any sort of issues. That's the big risk with a lot of these teams. If the guys aren't vaxxed, so be it if that's their choice. I'm not going to get into that, but I am going to get into the fact that Misstep like Newton's is going to cost you five games. And if that happens on a Thursday, you're going to miss Sunday, and the team's going to have to make adjustments. Yep. And, and I think, like, ultimately, like, if Von Belichick, that would actually, uh, again, we don't know the status of uh, Mac Jones, but, like, if that's the case, and he is and Newton isn't, that would kind of be the deciding factor for me, Joe, in terms of deciding uh, what is going to happen at my quarterback position, because I can't run the risk. You're probably taking a lot of precautions. Kirk Cousins building himself a plexi class bubble. That's fine. But in terms of violating potential protocols on access, and anything like that, if you might not be available because of something stupid like that, I, I might as well just roll with the rookie who might actually have a pretty high floor and ceiling, and kind of take my lumps if I'm Bill Belichick.
5: Yeah, I can see that. I mean, Jones has looked good. Let's remember something: it's not like with a lot of these coaches, they went out, they scouted the player, they got to know him. Shanahan and the Niners bring in Trey Lance, things like that. But. Belichick has such a huge edge here because him and Saban are such good friends. So he's going to get the entire Mac Jones scouting report, the good, the bad, the ugly, what you need to do, and then he makes the decision. And if you've got that kind of insight, you can't put a price on that. So the fact that he went forward with Mac Jones based on the Saban recommendation and everything else he's
4: seeing, it's not going to shock me in the least if Jones is in there sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. I would start Newton, like I said, give him an opportunity, see if he plays himself out of the job, and then if he does... Boom, it's easy. You transition to the first-round pick. Uh, with that, there is news actually kind of along these lines. It just breaks a couple of minutes ago. Uh, the Tennessee Titans announced that quarterback Ryan Tannehill has now uh, entered COVID protocol. He's on the COVID-19 list. So we'll see. Again, look, preseason week three is coming up. You get two weeks in between before the regular season starts. Probably won't affect anything when it comes to week one or anything like that with Ryan Tannehill. Uh, but worth noting that the Titans' starting quarterback is now on the COVID-19 list. Uh, all right, let, let's roll with this theme here, Joe, because we're talking about the AFC East at depth here uh, uh, during the show, it's one of the conference. me, one of the divisions that I wrote up for our NFL guide. So between the two, the Dolphins or the Patriots, uh, which of them is the playoff team and why? Because those two teams have kind of been tied at the hip in terms of the preseason analysis of who the dark horse is in this division.
5: Yes, yeah, slight, slight lean to the Patriots, probably because I have the proven commodity with Bill Belichick and everything. I know I'm going to be getting with New England. It's slight. The the big. Here is going to be what do I get from Tua of ILO at quarterback in Miami? I mean, the fact that he was a top five pick last year and then he admits that he didn't really know the playbook that well, that's wildly alarming to me that as a rookie first-round pick, you didn't know the playbook. That's your job now, man. Your job is to know the playbook. You're a professional at this point. What are you doing? So I know he's looked better in the preseason, and everyone's talking about him taking the next step, but I got to see that to believe it. I'm not going to take that on, on spec or anything else. He's got to go out there and win it. Miami's a good team defensively, but we saw the contract issues with Xavier and Howard. There have been some injuries at wide receiver. I can probably point to more flaws with Miami than I can New England, so I would give New England the slight benefit of the doubt. I also think New England's going to win that week one game because Belichick is a master when it comes to scheming for these young quarterbacks, and I think Tua only made one start against them last year,
4: but he didn't look good at all. He didn't throw any touchdown passes. I think he averaged less than five yards per attempt down the field. Granted, he's going to be a better quarterback this year, but I don't know by how much. I'd play the Patriots in week one. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I think it's a matchup nightmare for them. You mentioned Belichick for versus Tua. You're talking about a weak offensive line in front of Tua against a front seven in New England. I think that has some real potential in terms of rushing the quarterback. And on the other side, you have a front seven for Miami, Joe, that has actually last year, if you look at it statistically, was insanely weak against the run, taking on the sixth best run-locking offensive line in the National Football League and a running back that you mentioned to Damian Harris that by all accounts has uh, really Belichick's fallen in love with him. And from any statistic you want to look at, was great last year. Yeah,
5: he was. And there's going to be- of opportunity there for them. Again, it's going to be very tight. The Bills are the class of the division. You're not going to need me to get into that.
4: sense and remember this is also a team in Carolina that his first draft under rule spent every single pick on defensive players who got a lot of run that first year and you would expect some sort of growth uh, from guys who got a lot of t- trial by fire a season ago for the Carolina Panthers. Panthers by the way four point favorite against the Jets total of 43 points. You can find those odds up at vcin.com. Uh, Alright well then, you know what you brought up Zach Wilson so let's talk about this from this perspective because uh, I think I, I like what I've seen from Wilson. It's hard not to just because you've seen right you know, what he has done in the preseason but your point is very strong that not really playing against defensive scheme to stop him. Which of the rookie quarterback overreactions are you more down with? Zach Wilson, the second coming of God, Justin Fields, a Hall of Famer already, or that Trey Lance should be the guy starting for San Francisco week one?
5: Oh, man, I guess given what you just laid out, i probably (laughs) have to take Zach Wilson, even though I just laid that whole situation out because two things. When it comes to Fields, I know people don't want to hear this, he hasn't looked that good. Nope. I don't know, I mean, the, the Bears are of a fan base as there is in the National Football League when it comes to quarterback play. They have not had a 4,000 yard passer in their entire history. They're the only team in the NFL that can say that. Alright? So here comes Fields. Everyone's fired up. I get it. But number one, I think there's a reason he slid in the draft. And number two, he was 9 of 19 against Buffalo's B-Squad last week and the week before that he did nothing against Miami starters. It was only against the Miami backups that he moved the ball. I think there's potential for Fields down the road But I'm not all gassed up about him in week one at L.A. against the Rams. As for the Niners situation, Lance is going to be the guy at some point, and he's going to be fantastic, I think. But he hasn't played meaningful two years and this is the NFL. Garoppolo is not Andy Dalton. Garoppolo was in the Super Bowl two years ago. Garoppolo can play at a high level. People don't want to buy into that fine, but he's a good quarterback. And your first two games of the season are at Detroit and at Philadelphia. Those are winnable games. Don't take the risk with the rookie in games like that. Break from the gate strong, start 2-0, and then they come home for a couple divisional games against Seattle and Arizona. And And I don't think Fields has been that great as of
4: yet, so I give the edge to Wilson based on your question. Yeah, Garoppolo, uh, Garoppolo, and Lance—that has such a Kansas City Chiefs vibe around it, where the Chiefs were really yeah. good in Alex Smith's final year, and then they uh, put that off until uh, excuse me, uh, Patrick Mahomes' second season. Joe Fortenbaugh, Daily Wager, at Two, uh, at Joe Fortenbaugh up on Twitter. uh Joe, we are already up against it. I appreciate it, though, man. Time flies. It was good to talk to you.
0: You
5: too, JVT. Thanks for
4: on. I'll talk to you soon. Yep, you got it. Again, Joe Fortenbaugh. You can follow him on Twitter at Joe Fortenbaugh. Um, so, that is the news and we can expand on that a little bit more coming up, but the fact that Ryan Tannehill on the COVID-19 list, a Tennessee Titans team that a lot of people have some high expectations for, not entirely sure that should be the case, especially given what you're looking at with that defense. And, of course, we know how they run that offense and where it runs through. So, maybe the additions at wide receiver, as we know, maybe not as impactful as we expect them to be. But we'll roll through and continue uh, with our break of the AFC East on the other side, a little bit more on the New England Patriots because there are two strengths here for the Patriots that I think they can carry them pretty far. And I do have a futures ticket on one of their players to be a league leader that I like a lot. And I think it's going to be um, pretty close to coming to fruition given the pieces around him. It's coming up next year on a numbers game.
2: Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development.
6: start listening.
4: for this weekend's Travers Stakes at Saratoga with some help from our friends at First Bet. They are offering a Travers Day money-back special, which is cash back up to $10 if your horse finishes second or third on all races at Saratoga on Travers Day. Also, you can get in the Travers All Stakes Pick 5. Register at ExpressBet.com. Hit the Travers All Stakes Pick 5 on races 8 through 12 and split $10,000. For more information, visit vcin.com horses for details. And when you go to VSon.com slash horses, you'll also find a new feature, Daily Saratoga Picks from veteran handicapper Ed Seahorns. Visin.com slash horses. I was just commenting on this off the air. What a day. The energy is palpable. Michael Lombardi in studio for the Lombardi line. The chemistry is going to be off the chain, as the kids say. Him and Pat, how about this? How about this nugget, huh? Him and Patrick Maher meeting in person for the first time ever. God, I can't wait to see that. Sparks are literally going to fly when these two finally meet <laughs> in person. Uh, I'm serious. All right, New England Patriots. Uh, let's wrap this up because we talked to, at length about this with their Heger and you know, Patriots are the team that I am. I'm high on to a certain extent. I think as high as you can be for a team whose win total is about nine. Who is a uh, slight underdog to make the postseason? Who a season ago finished uh, just a game under five hundred at seven and nine. But, but I think there's a lot of things to like about the New England Patriots, right? And we've touched on a little bit whether it is Jonu Smith and Hunter Henry when they're going to be healthy. Um, pairing up with an offensive line that quietly graded as one of the best run-blocking units in the National Football League a season ago. A running back tandem now in that backfield led by Damian Harris, who, for those who don't know by PFF standards, was actually the second-highest graded running back behind Derrick Henry last year. Uh, Damian Harris was really good. And so now... Given all the comments coming out of Patriots camp throughout the offseason, given the trade of Sonny Michelle to the Los Angeles Rams, uh, that is going to be Damian Harris' job uh, to potentially lose, it seems. And we do have the past, right, of running backs in New England and having one or the other take the reins from a game-to-game basis. It does seem that Harris, given what he did last year, given the comments coming out of New England, that he's going to be the lead guy and that this is going to be one where we could see a really big year out of a guy like Damian Harris, which kind of, with this offense, leads you right back to where we always begin, which is the core quarterback position and what kind of play you're going to get out of that position. And I do think whether it is Cam Newton, whether it is Mac Jones, you're going to get a baseline of play, especially given the weapons on this offense that is going to give you an above-average offense in the National Football League. Are we talking, like, top 10? Maybe not, but are we talking for sure within the top 15 of the National Football League, especially when you account for what I think is going to be one of the better running games in the NFL? I believe so. And so now you look at this system all the way around and you you evaluate what else is going on with this team. Look at it from a defensive standpoint. When you look at what the Patriots have in this front seven in terms of the ability to rush the passer – Right, that's what you really like, I think, a lot about this team defensively. You bring in Matthew Judon, Kyle Van Noy in the offseason. You had a team that last year had the fifth highest rate of quarterback pressures, but they were twenty fourth or they were finished with twenty four sacks. So they were generating pressures, they weren't cleaning them up. The additions of Judon and Van Noy are going to help that. You add those with Josh Uche and and Chase Winovich, this is going to be, I think, one of the better pass rushing units in the National Football League. I think the biggest questions for New England the quarterback position like we talked about, and how they defend the run. Because very quietly, that was one of the biggest issues for New England defensively. They ranked 30th or lower defensively in three of the six rushing categories that Football Outsiders tracks. Most of the Patriots' best run defenders in 2020, from a grading perspective by Pro Football Focus, were either corners or safeties. So that's not really what you want when it comes to defending the run. So that has to get better this season. There is no doubt about that. But when I look at a team that is strong in the two areas that I really want a team to be strong in, which is pass rush, which is offensive line, think this is a team that is going to win 9 or 10 games and make a playoff push. And so it goes back to my futures that I have in the AFC East. They played three futures in the AFC East. Two of them are tied to the New England Patriots. I have the New England Patriots at plus 115 to make the postseason. I bet a yes on that. I think this is going to be a playoff team. I bet that as opposed to betting that win total, because I even mentioned it in the write-up for our NFL guide, which is, well, I think this is a playoff team. Your margin for error is really low when you're talking about betting over 9.5, right? And especially when you're looking at a 9.5 shaded to the over with a price tag that tells you there's a 55.6% chance that's going to happen. Laying that kind of a price and, and having that margin for error, I, I think, is is not great. But thinking that this is going to be a playoff team at either 9 and 8 and 10 or 7, I think that's a realistic opportunity here for the New England Patriots. So, I think they're a playoff team. And the one future ticket I have in terms of player awards, uh, Damian Harris, to lead the league in rushing at 100 to one. That was over at William Hill. The market has adjusted, but I think Harris is going to push for that. This is going to be a really, I think, solid New England team that eventually will make that final preseason push and then postseason push and then the Dolphins to not make the playoffs at minus 130. Uh, I've laid out the case for the Dolphins as to not be a playoff team whether it's the turnovers regressing to the mean whether it's that front seven uh, really really getting beat up in terms of good rushing attacks and of course lack of a pass rush and a bad offensive line. Uh, By the way NFL guy go check that out. So we have spent this whole time We haven't really talked at length about the Buffalo Bills. Let's get to that because uh, there are some real weaknesses with this squad, but a lot of it depends on Josh Allen, of course. Now that the NFL preseason pretty much wrapping up, it's the perfect time for you to huddle up with the VSIN Pro Football Betting Guide. The guide's only $19.99. And it's available now. Our experts provide profiles of every team with advanced stats and power ratings, plus best bets on season win totals, division finishes, and player awards. Sign up for VCN All Access. Get everything we offer for the entire football season. Sign up now at VCN.com/slash subscribe. Just some brilliant write-ups. The first two divisions were we're so well done. They're all really well done. But the first two divisions uh, that are in that guide, AFC East and AFC North, very, very well done. I uh, we want to clean up something really quick when we were talking about the Patriots um, because I've been you know citing what Mac Jones did against the Giants defense in practice the other day. It was 35 of 40, and by one account, this is the big deal. Bill Belichick gave him a high five after practice. So we know that Bill Belichick, very high on Mac Jones, and the extension of the hand could also mean the extension of the job is yours. So that uh, that prop off the board over at DraftKings, we'll see if that's going to be the case. But Mac Jones, uh, really, really a lot of momentum behind him potentially taking that job for week one for the New England Patriots. With that, let's get to the favorite of this division, which is the Buffalo Bills. And the rightful favorite at that, because if you look at the construction of the roster for all of the teams around them, if you look at the potential ceilings for each and every single one of those teams around them, there is a reason why the Bills are a dollar fifty dollar sixty favorite to win this division. It is about them. It is about Josh Allen, this offense, and what this team could be. But it's also about the fact that I don't think realistically you see a twelve ish win season from the other teams around them in the AFC East, and thus why I wear my stats are for losers shirt today uh, because Josh Allen, it's actually Josh Allen riding a Buffalo too. It's why I wear this. It's a Buffalo Bill shirt. Uh, If we remember Josh Allen coming out of Wyoming under 60% completion, right? A lot of questions as to why he would be the seventh overall pick. And you looked at his first two years as quarterback in the National Football League. And that is indeed the case. When you're talking about a guy who completed under 60% of his passes, who when it comes to touchdown to interception ratio for Josh Allen, it was under two. But then you make that, Leap from a one point four three touchdown to interception ratio and a completion percentage of fifty-six point three percent in his first two years of quarterback to sixty-nine point two percent last year and a three point seven touchdown to interception ratio in a single season. Those are some massive leaps to make as a quarterback. And I've been really strong on this, which is the biggest move in the off-season for Buffalo was not re-signing Matt Milan, it was It was making sure that Brian Dable was going to stick around and that he did not take a job because Dable has done a great job as offensive coordinator maximizing the talents of Josh Allen and putting a system around him and a scheme around him in which he can thrive as a quarterback in the National Football League. And you saw all of that come to fruition a season ago. So Dable's still here. And the weapons really remain the same around him. I mean, there's a lot to like about what you like when you look at this offense, whether it's the addition of Emmanuel Sanders to this wide receiver room. Yes, we know about the issues with Cole Beasley and whether or not uh, he is going to be around frequently, right, given the drama around the wide receiver room there. Uh, But you still have two really good top-end wide receivers, and you still have an offense that has a lot of potential. But a lot of this hinges on Josh Allen. Because if Josh Allen takes the steps back toward, I'm not saying all the way back, but if he takes steps back toward the Josh Allen of the first two seasons, then the issues around this Bills team in terms of the way the roster is constructed, then those all of a sudden they start to get a light shined on them a little bit more, right? When you have a team in Buffalo defensively that does not have an offense that is taking the pressure off of their defense, then all of a sudden the wards start to show, right? So, for example, when you look at this front seven – They had some real problems defending the run in 2020, and there was little done to address the issue. 2020, the Bills finished 17th against the run by DVOA standards. PFF actually graded their run defense as the fifth-worst unit in the National Football League. They gave up the most second-level yards per carry of any team in the NFL, 1.48. And there are no real personal changes other than Matt Milano coming back, and he's a much better pass rusher, blitzer, than he is run defender. Outside of Justin Zimmer, who was their highest-graded run defender uh, along the defensive interior, they don't have any real run stuff. So talking about a team in terms of their strength up front defensively against some quality rushing attacks, that's going to be a problem. And we just talked about the New England Patriots, for example, a team they have to take on twice. Well, that's a really good running game that they're going to go up against. And that's going to kind of be a problem. Hell, they almost lost a game to the New England Patriots a season ago because the Patriots controlled the line of scrimmage. And so when you, talk, when you take a look at some of the teams in which they're going to take on, remember the Chiefs? We talked about that last year. Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who ran all over them in his best game of the year as a rookie. They have to go to the Chiefs, right, early on in the year in week five. That Titans game on the road is going to be really intriguing to watch given the strength of that running attack as well. The Saints have a really quality run-blocking offensive line, too. So when you're talking about where this team slips up along the schedule and what the weaknesses eventually could be for the Buffalo Bills and what holds them back from a championship, I think it starts with the way that they defend the run. It also starts with their pass-rushing situation. Because when you look at this overall, Jerry Hughes, 86.5 PFF grade as a defender, 54 pressures on 454 pass-rushing snaps, but – he only ended up with four and a half sacks, and there is no real other true threat for this team. If you look at it, for example, on this roster, A.J. Klein, Joe Giles Harris, they graded really highly as edge rushers a season ago, but that was over a combined 123 pass rushing snaps, which is hardly a reliable sample size. And so, all of this put together, when you're talking about a run defense that is probably going to be bottom half of the league yet again this coming year, a pass rush that. I don't want to say he's non-existent, but doesn't have a true dominant threat outside of Jerry Hughes. And even then, if he's your most dominant edge rusher, you're talking about a guy that amassed four and a half sacks a season ago. Those are going to be some problems if this offense in any way whatsoever regresses a little to the mean here from what you saw a season ago and from what you saw from Josh Allen in the first two years. And while you evaluate their schedule, and I don't think it's impossible to see this Bills team reach 11 wins. They face the ninth easiest schedule based on forecasted win totals. gets slightly easier when you factor in, like, opponents, for example, Indianapolis, what's happening with the Colts situation, uh, what does that offense look like with Carson Wentz. But given the fact that their front seven is arguably their biggest weakness, and you see some of these opponents and the ability to run the ball. I just think it's kind of hard to talk yourself into laying a price for this team to kind of go over that eleven, eleven and a half win mark, right? And so you see when you look at how many games will the Buffalo Bills win in the regular season, and you see the different wins and the tax that you can approach. Well, I think that they should be the rightful favorite to win this division. I would agree with Eric Eager when he talked about the price maybe being a little too high given the flaws in this roster. I think like a ten like this is probably at the most an eleven win team of the Buffalo Bills, and I don't know how realistic the threat is. Excuse me, that they're going to win a Super Bowl. So when you look at ten and a half under plus one forty five, a ten and seven season seems extreme. But I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility that that's what happens. And 10-7 and could win this division, right? 11 11 wins potentially is going to be the ceiling for that team. And you're talking about 11.5 shaded to the under $1.45. It's not that out of this world for the $1.45 price tag on an under 11.5, especially given the fact that this was shaded to the over at the beginning of the season. So while this team should win the division, they are the rightful favorite. I do see some real flaws that I think will eventually hold them back from actually winning a Super Bowl title this season and competing in the postseason. With that, we're all done with the AFC East. We're all done with the National Football League. Paul Sporer is going to join us on the other side. Let's talk a little Major League Baseball, man. These division races, these wild card races, they're getting hot and heavy. we got some pitchers to discuss as well with Sporer on the other side here on the Numbers Game.
2: I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. I've been a journalist for two decades, writing cover stories for Business Week, Fortune, and Wired. And now, every Monday, I bring you conversations with people who are thinking deeply about work and where it fits into our lives. Like Microsoft CEO Satya Nadella on growth mindsets.
3: The learn-it-all does better than the know-it-all
2: or MacArthur Genius winner Angela Duckworth on talent versus grit. Your long-term effort and your long-term commitment are surprisingly important. Each episode delivers pragmatic advice for right now. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: to start listening.
4: Raise the stakes with better It's the best time to sign up because they're giving new customers a shot at an easy 100 bucks. Register using code VESA100. Win $100 in free bets when you place a $1 money line wager on the Dodgers or the Padres and either team hits a home run. BetMGM is always ready to help you turn big plays into major paydays. Enjoy innovative parlay selection builders, daily promotions, boosted odds specials and more. Download the app or go to BetMGM.com use code VESA100 to win $100 when you bet $1 on the Dodgers or Padres and either team hits a home run. Only at BetMGM, the King a sports book, new uh, customer offer, paid and free bets, eligibility restrictions apply. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. You've got to be 21 or older. Please gamble responsibly. And if you have a gambling problem, please call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Nevada. Let's talk a little baseball. Let's talk Padres, Dodgers, and more. Paul Sporer is nice enough to give us time today to discuss that and much more, the world of Major League Baseball. Uh, Paul, it is good to talk to you, man. Uh, always enjoy your work. So uh, let's start and we'll, we'll build off of what we saw last night. But I wanted to start with a specific performance performance. performance is this turnaround from Blake Snell real here a 212 ERA in the month of August the big thing that sticks out last night no walks seven and two-thirds so some length from him as well this is actually the second outing this month in which he has pitched more than seven or seven or more innings Uh, what have you seen from Snell this month what has changed from him is this legitimate maybe not the seven innings but like give me some five six inning starts with lesser walks and maybe you can actually emerge as something we desperately need which is an arm in this rotation
7: Yeah, it'd be huge. Thank you for having me on, by the way, JBT. This has been an excellent month from Blake. And honestly, uh, uh, the major struggles that he had uh, were a little bit uncharacteristic uh, in that Yes, he's had control issues in the past, but he's never really combined them with home run issues the way he did this year. I mean, I guess there was a little bit of it last year, but I, I have a hard time cre- tre- treating last year as more than a blip regardless, whether you were really, really good or really, really bad, because it was two months. And we've seen this year how two-month segments can can be so different from a player. So I guess it was a little bit of a carryover from last year with the home runs. But that was the weird thing that I was noticing from Snell was that he, he mixed home runs and a lack of control. What we're seeing here has been a lot more concise. The pitch counts uh, are over triple digits because he's going deeper into games, and that's the big thing that everyone was hoping to see when he went to San Diego in the first place. Remember, we thought, okay, get out of the reins of Tampa Bay. He can start pitching, you know, six plus innings regularly. And obviously, we really didn't see it much outside of a game or two until this month. This is the this is the Blake Snell that. San Diego thought they were getting with the strikeouts with control the zero walks yesterday was huge but also going deeper into games. game so they obviously need him they need him badly they need this Blake for another month to make the playoffs because right now they have nothing guaranteed but I, I think there's a lot of viability to what he's doing here even if it even if the zero walks thing doesn't stick the strikeouts more efficiency getting deeper into games i think he's turned a corner here because we've seen it now for a whole month
4: yeah and and this would help too because if you get this Snell and we get you darvish back today off of the injured list so maybe we're starting to see some positive momentum here for san diego at least when it comes to getting that second wild card back Uh, what's your expectations for guys coming off of the injured list last time we saw darvish it was two weeks ago got beat up by the arizona diamondbacks two and two-thirds five earned runs what's your expectations from darvish tonight
7: I have a little bit of nerves regarding Darvish because if if you kind of look at him since the, the spider tack, tack crackdown, he's been rough. He's been one of the guys that's been like really rough throughout um, the first two starts. So it was June 21st. He literally started on June 21st. He was actually great against the Dodgers, then uh, very good against Arizona, which is not that difficult. But even including those two starts, you take from June 21st on, we're talking about a 570 ERA. More importantly, we're talking 12 homers and nine walks in those 47 innings and remember this is a guy who was you know barely walking anybody and even if he walked a few guys home runs weren't a big issue but when you see the walks and the homer spike that tells me that command isn't there and that maybe he's missing out just a little something not saying that you know he was using the worst stuff but they get they went from you know whatever to nothing mm-hmm. so even if he was just a rosin and sunscreen type of guy that is a that is a distinct change so I, I don't I don't know it's a little bit of a wild card to me you know was he nursing an injury throughout and then finally went on the I L and maybe this is going to bring back a healthy Darvish and it isn't so much about the spider grip. I don't know I think we're going to have to see that right away if they get good Darvish like you said with Snell. They can make a run. I don't want to discount them. I am leaning toward the Reds right now, although they had a bullpen meltdown the other day that was too reminiscent of earlier in the season. Bottom line is Reds aren't going to run away with it. I, I think they, I like them to win it, but they're not going to run away and hide in my estimation. I think the Padres can be there these final five weeks for sure.
4: Yeah. Molly, uh, Molly pitched a gym the other day and then uh, the brew crew goes to that, gets to that bullpen and smacks around Cincinnati and Molly's effort is all for naught. Uh, really quickly, last thing on this Dodgers Padres angle, uh, so with that, I'll be being said about Darvish, it, it seems to me that this is a relatively cheap price on LA, given the dollar thirty price. And I get the bullpen's probably taxed from last night, but you get Max Scherzer out there this evening, so you would assume that you're not going to have to dip into that bullpen for a, a lot of innings of work. at dollar thirty-one here on Los Angeles, like this, just seems like, hey, you Darvish is back. Relatively cheap price on LA, like given everything we know about Darvish and what we know about Scherzer. I would expect the market to continue moving in this direction, but minus one thirty seems cheap on LA tonight.
7: Absolutely I feel like anytime I get Scherzer uh, better than a buck 50 minus a buck 50 I got to take it just on principle alone because of how good he is it, it does seem like a pretty tough number a uh, good number for the Dodgers but I'm I'm perplexed by it being so low for him but I'll take it all day for Scherzer like I said once he starts getting below buck 50 I usually jump in. <laughs>
4: All right, so let's talk. I want to get your thoughts on some awards, too. So, yesterday, you know, we mentioned the Reds and Molly the other day. Uh, Reds take one on the chin yesterday as well against Milwaukee. Here's my question for you, and this is a personal question. Um, I have a ticket on Brandon Woodruff to win the Cy Young at 15 to 1. Why is my guy not getting more momentum behind winning this award? I get, look, Burns has been great, but Woodruff's been pretty consistent last night. He goes out there, strikes out 10. When is my guy going to get some respect here?
7: I really don't know. Maybe when when Burns is ERA, I guess, passes his, they're very close. Yeah. But he also has about a twenty inning advantage. Woodruff do, does. Woodruff's been my guy there when uh, Wheeler and Burns were kind of being the front runners. I like to go a little bit down the board, and Woodruff was the guy that I saw too. And I, I totally agree with you that he's he's right there. I think he's ahead of Burns because you talk about an eight point uh, ERA gap, two thirty 230 to two thirty eight. That's literally nothing. Mm-hmm. Like that. That that's nothing. The 20-inning, it's actually 18 innings to, to be precise. An 18-inning gap, that is substantial. That's three starts, uh, you know, six innings apiece there. That's a big deal, and I think that has to play, and we're going to have to look at volume as uh, more than ever this year uh, because guys are going to be missing time. I mean, their teammates. But obviously, they, they worry more about Burns and Peralta, which is exactly how I thought it would play out. I think we'll continue to see that play out throughout these final five weeks. And by the end of the year, it could be like a 30-inning gap. And in that case, if they're close on numbers, it has to be Woodruff over Burns. And then I do believe Woodruff, uh, I like him over Wheeler too. Bueller's the one you have to worry about yep. because Bueller has more innings and a better yard so I got Bueller one right now but then I have Woodruff second I really think he needs to be the second guy on the board uh, as far as this award goes and then he and Bueller battle it out because of the innings discrepancy with uh, with Burns and then with Wheeler he has an advantage of statistics not innings because uh, Wheeler has 175 innings
4: speaking of Wheeler so what's going on with him so eight innings last night 10 hits uh, five earned runs he strikes out 10 but he also gives up two deep balls and all of a sudden Wheeler these Consistencies have popped up with him over the last month uh what happened because i think when you look at his numbers fan graphs wise uh paul like you're talking about an era and xPip that are relatively tight didn't seem like there was any room for some regression so what's gone on with wheel over the last few starts
7: You know, I I, I haven't really seen anything that that I can point to as like a smoking gun with Wheeler. And I'll probably dig in again over the weekend because, uh, you know, it's another kind of mediocre start. He goes eight innings. It's hard to have a bad start when you go eight innings, uh, although he did allow seven runs, five earned. Um, But I I think it could just be standard dog day stuff, you know, wearing down a little bit. Not that he hasn't had big innings before, but you never know how it's going to hit you. Um, When you you kind of get into that fifth month and you're slogging through it, uh, so he's been he's been in a little bit of a slog i don't think anything is wildly off uh we haven't heard anything about injury obviously they would they would put him on the aisle they would protect their guy so i think it might just be you, you could be you know, very little bit off with a pitch or two and it can lead to massively different results uh, i think that's what we're dealing with with wheeler here i have not seen anything yet in the numbers that suggest there's the one thing there are the two things in terms of approach Arsenal, or even mechanics.
4: And, if we, you know, we talk about needing guys. Phillies need him to turn this around, right? Because oh, God, they, like, yes. this is, it's funny. So, I, uh, last week, I was going over remaining strength of schedule, all these things, and I was like, man, things are turning the bases for Philadelphia. They're starting a series with the Arizona Diamondbacks. They got the easiest schedule left in baseball, plus 170 to win the division. I'm in. They get swept by the Diamondbacks. They are two and seven since. So, like, when you're talking about really? Atlanta, what their schedule is going forward, because they take two on the chin against New York, how do you see this? Can Philly catch Atlanta with this schedule and the way it shakes out for them? Or is this too inconsistent defensively, too inconsistent in terms of this pitching? And even with the easiest schedule, it's going to be hard for them to actually win this division.
5: Can
7: they? Yes, Uh, of course they can, because it's five games and they do have the easiest schedule. Will they? I I don't necessarily think they will. i got to say, though, I've I've loved Ranger Suarez joining the rotation. Mm -hmm. I was perplexed by that move initially. They took their closer and made him a starter. He's now fully stretched out. He went, I think, 100 pitches last time out. So that gives them another good starter there. They really need Nola to turn it around, though. That's going to be the linchpin. I would still lean toward Atlanta unless I saw a Nola turnaround, paired with Wheeler getting back, right? Uh, Because they need kind of that one-two ace punch, and then Gibson and Suarez, that gives them a solid four. I believe Eflin's due back today as well. All of a sudden, you're talking a decent five. I've been nervous about this team all year and never really bought into them because of the pitching, but that can be a good five, but it needs to be the good version of those guys, and I think Wheeler and Nola are the most Important. Suarez is already doing his best. Gibson's been fine, but Wheeler's struggling as we talked about, and Nola's just been wildly inconsistent this year. They need those two front runners to be their main guys, and then they can make a charge here. But if I'm putting it down right now, I think I still got to lean toward Atlanta with the lead, even with the schedule discrepancy.
4: Yeah, Arizona, Washington, Miami, Milwaukee, Colorado, and the Cubs. Those are the next few series for the Phillies. Opportunities there, man. They just got to take advantage of right there
7: on the, on the table for them.
4: All right, Paul. Hey, it's good to talk to you, man. Thank you very much. I was going to make the joke. Uh, I think it was Baez the other day was out in front of a pitch by like a mile. It looked like me playing MLB The Show. But uh, we are up against it. Good to talk to you, dude. Good to talk to you too, JBT. Take care. That's Borer up on Twitter. All right, I'm all done for the day. I'm going to be back tomorrow filling in for Gil. Uh, careful though, sparks about to fly. Michael Lombardi in studio. Patch Maher as well. It's the Lombardi line coming up next year on VSEN.